Welcome. I'm the Parliament Raven. Pull up a seat, pour yourself a cup of tea. My name is Jason Rodriguez, and I'm the Parliament Raven. And welcome to Voices of the Parliament, where wisdom is put to use. Today, I have the great honor of visit of having visit me, the first person who interviewed me, uh, Bishop Walter McLeod. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Uh, host of Conversations with Bishop, pastor of and Bishop of Veritas Church, business owner of TVH Marketing and The Vinyl Hustle, a amazing paramedic and principal and teacher of the Bishop School of Ministry. He joins me here today. It, uh, folks, let me let you know it is late at night and he is in South Carolina and I am here in California. We're going to have this amazing conversation. Uh, so, Say hello to everybody, Bishop, and uh, let's get this conversation rolling. Hey, guys. It is an absolute honor and privilege to be joining my brother Jason here with the Parliament Raven. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I brought you on here not because you've, you, you had me visit you, but I think there's wisdom in – I mean, look at There's a myriad of things that you have done in your life and are doing successfully – but I, I thought maybe that you could bring that to the listeners and, you know, let them know, like, maybe where the journey began or, or like I was asking you before we got on here, why bishop and not pastor? Or where do you want to go with this? <coughs> um, that's, a, that's a lot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me I had to read it all. Um, you know what, though? Even, even with... Um, cause I, I hear that a lot. We have, uh, my wife and I have a lot of people who are constantly saying, what do y'all, is there anything y'all don't do? And our response usually is not that we found yet, but as soon as we find it, we'll probably be doing it. But we're in, in all honesty, we made the decision when we, before we got married, when we were dating, we made the decision that our life was going to be ministry. I mean, for some people, ministry is just, uh, it's a career. Uh, for some people, ministry is, uh, it's an extracurricular activity for them. It's kind of what they do when everything is convenient. Um, but we made the decision a long time ago that um, ministry would be who we are, not what we do. And out of that ministry has grown everything that we've done. So um, everything that we do is connected to ministry in some way. So um, I'm a I'm a paramedic as well. And lifesaver. I mean, yeah, so, you're saving people's souls and you're saving people's lives. Right. Right. Because I'm the man. No. Um, <laughs> but I, I absolutely, absolutely love serving my community. And it, it's one of the ways that I keep kind of a my finger on the pulse of my local community. Um, I can see what's going on. I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of, of pastors having jobs in their community outside of the church. Yeah. Um, because we can, we can get into a monotonous groove within the fishbowl of church world. 
and we lose touch with reality and we lose touch with what's going on in our community. And then we wonder why we're not reaching our community. And it's because you you don't know what they're going through. You don't want to be a social club where people come and meet every Sunday and then, you know, spend the Super Bowl after your big message and then maybe meet Wednesday and but not have any real impact other than, you know, being a good social club. (laughs) Nah, there's plenty of churches like that in this area. I have no (laughs) desire to be those. We so I, <laughs> you know, little, be, uh, like I'm I'm exaggerating the facetiousness of this, but like this is really like my experience and probably your experience uh, with a lot of churches where they've been around, but there's no impact other than that they're this own little social circle. Well, they they become very um, they become very introverted because they're concerned about uh, they're concerned about keeping the lights on, they're concerned about paying the bills. And it's, or a bigger it's a building. Very, it's a very slippery slope, and and I understand it. Um, we started Veritas ten years ago, and I I understand. I had been in the church world for a couple decades prior to that, and I understand that slippery slope, in which you begin a ministry, you're building a ministry, you're on fire for for Jesus, you want to change the world, you want to change, and then next thing you know, you're starting a church, you're um, you've got a building, you've got staff, you've got um, outreach. All of it costs money. So in order for you to to have money, you've got to um, you've got to manage your your um, source of of that money, which is people. Which means I've got to take care of my um, I've got to take care of those who are funding the ministry. And next thing you know all of your decisions are are all about keeping those people that have that revenue happy. So you become a program-based church instead of an outreach-based church. And then the programs are designed to keep those givers giving. And what ends up happening is you become so focused on those individuals, you can no longer effectively do outreach. Because now it's all about making those few people happy instead of the mission. And it's a it's a slippery slope because you have a you have a building to pay for, you have lights to keep on, you have staff to pay, you have all of that stuff costs money. So it can be it can be slippery if you're not careful. And I've watched I've watched a lot of pastors go down that road and they honestly, many of them that I have dealt with and that I've I've worked with don't know how to come back from it. Uh, I, I think that's what a big turnoff or, I mean, I was on your, your Facebook the other day and and I saw the deconstruction meme you posted there. Um, and, and, you know, I, I called deconstruction reformation without guidance and Mm -hmm. there's there's a whole episode. If you guys want to hear my take on that. Um, but understanding that is how we can understand why churches become a business, why the word unchurched is uh, is just another word for a new cash resource, right? Like we need to get more unchurched in there. That's not, it's not because it's a spiritual wanting more people to be, you know, getting deeper with the Lord, but it's because we want, we need more lights and we need 
a new fog machine or our chairs need to be replaced or somebody so and so just left the church to the other bigger church that has the coffee shop in the pool on the lower deck and you know and there's a, in facebook is there's a ton of memes and there's a ton on instagram and videos teasing that but that's mm-hmm. like a reality that me and you as teachers and theologians have come to face and to deal with and kind of to bring it out. And the only reason I, I'm kind of trying to to highlight this is because I do have a lot of listeners that aren't Christian, Bishop. There's a lot, there's a lot of people in the parliament who are agnostic, they're hurt, they've left the church, but they want the wisdom, they still want the wisdom uh, that's been around for thousands, that the Lord has given and has been around for thousands of years to better their lives, to better their friends' lives, their families' lives. And so hopefully that, you know, that this, the parliament's a safe place for that, but hearing what you're saying allows them to understand a perspective I haven't given them because I'm not a pastor, for one, and I don't run a church, but I've been in those meetings that you talk about, and you're giving from a first-person perspective. And maybe, hopefully, out there, one of my listeners, and I know I have quite a few pastor friends, is listening and knowing that there's that struggle is real, and we understand it, but there has to be a way to put God before that, right? It's a, it's a very real struggle, It's and it, and it sucks, man, because what's happened is it, it's caused all of these churches to become so in, inward-focused because they're taking care of they're taking care of their main contributors— and what ends up happening is the main contributors lead the church instead of the pastors leading the church. Or, you know, it's also why I'm not a. It's, it's one of the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of um, of these new. It started like right around COVID. Um, these these new apostolic hubs that keep popping up all over the place. Oh, you mean Gnosticism? <laughs> whenever they whenever they make the claim, we're not a church, we're a hub. Okay, y'all meet for worship. Y'all meet for teaching. Y'all are centered around one or two individuals who who lead y'all. They're your spiritual parents. They're um, you they take have knowledge an, directly from the Lord that only they can give you. What? You take huh? up an offering. You take <laughs> y'all are a church. You just put hub on it because hub is sexier than church. No, you're still a hub. You're still a church. You just don't want to be called a church because you want everybody to look at you as being uh, being the new it thing to be a part of. Yeah, I don't I don't go to church. I, I go to you know, I go to the Atlanta hub, uh, which there may be. I haven't heard this. This is why I like talking to you, Bishop. You're, there may be one. <laughs> you're, but, you look, you're more connected with this stuff, man. I'm right now. I'm really connected with other things and hearing stuff like this. I just floors me. Uh, apostolic the, hub. The church is funny, man. The church gives us a bad name. It it really does, because we get this idea of instead of instead of fixing the, I'm a I'm a big fan of the church institution. I'm a huge fan of it because whenever it's done correctly, it can do some incredible things, and it accomplishes incredible things. The church as a whole owns more orphanages than than anybody else in the world. It owns more hospitals than anybody else in the world. It owns more schools than anybody else in the world. the The church is has been one of the one of the most impactful, beneficial institutions to ever grace society. Ever, nothing can compete with it. 
problem, however, is it's become about the people leading it instead of the God that we're supposed to be proclaiming. And when it becomes about the people who are leading it instead of the God that we represent, then it's led by selfish carnal desires instead of by the Holy Spirit. And when it's led by selfish carnal desires, people are going to get hurt. They're going to get uh, hurt and, bad. And that's where we get, you know, people questioning it, like the guy who did Preachers and Sneakers, where the preacher's wearing $3,000 sneakers. Or, I mean, as of recently, the Super Bowl with, you know, uh, what is it? He is with, he he understands he us. us. He, he gets us. He gets us. I'm just like, um... I think we're supposed to try to get him. Right, I mean, even that message is kind of backwards. Yeah, <laughs> uh, let's change it. Let's change it to he redeems us. Uh, that I saw that that guy, uh, somebody made a commercial about that. That uh, you know how it could have been, um, and it's interesting because you know they're pointing out people like um, Mark Green who owns Hobby Lobby, and uh, I had the honor of actually hanging out with with him in seminary as he saved my university. Oh, cool. And, and I don't, and I think just like any other human, uh, he's doing the best he can. He's blessed with a a business that was founded by his family and he's trying to impact the world the best he can. Um, whether you agree with his stances on certain things or not, um, he is very charitable. Right. That being said, Applying, you know, and people complain about that commercial. Um, and this is the time we live in. Uh, the money spent on it could have been given to the poor. And then you have the whole verse where the perfume on Jesus's feet. Uh, and then you, but I, then you also think, is it the right message? So there's a, I, I mean, I guess it did what it was supposed to and stir up interest. I mean, we've had the most hits on Jesus on Google ever. Um, that's saying a lot since Google's been around what, since the early 2000s. Um, I mean, I forget, maybe 2001. I forget. I was in college when I was That's, in I told my kids the other day I was older than Google, and they're like, what? What? <laughs> that, I, I like that. I still, I still find it funny when people are going, no, you're not old. Google's been around forever. The kids go, Google's been around forever. Like, wait till the, wait till parents start going, I'm older than TikTok. <laughs> Right now, that's not a thing. But the kids nowadays will one day tell their kids that they're older than TikTok and experience. And then we're going to go, remember when we said we were older than Google? Right. You know, so, when we when we look at that, when we look at that whole argument about because uh, I've been watching it on Facebook and I haven't said anything. I've kept my mouth shut. No, I, I'm surprised. I, Usually you're very vocal. <laughs> I didn't want I didn't see the commercial. So I've, I've kept my mouth shut, but I've, I've watched I've watched everybody saying stuff. And here's my personal thought on it is that the critics will always know a better way to spend the money they were not trusted to steward. Okay. So, um, and I I say that because if I had had, if I had the millions of dollars for a Super Bowl ad, would I have spent it on Super Bowl ad? Me personally? No, I wouldn't have. Not when I know that I've got I've got families that I could feed. I've got families I could house. I've got medical bills for people that I could take care of. I've got all of these things that I could do. But at the same time, if I had millions of dollars to spend on a Super Bowl ad, 
I've probably got millions more than that. I'm not just, that's pennies. That's pennies to these guys. So when we look at it, we say, okay, you spent, you know, how much, how much was it? Like $3 million or something? I can't remember. I think it was three, 3 million or 300, some ridiculous number. I, so these guys didn't spend all their money on one Super Bowl ad. No, yeah, you're right. It's three million. Last year they spent a million. Yeah, so they didn't they didn't spend their last three million dollars on a Super Bowl ad. No, they I, have it, more money. The guy who runs it says that they're gonna have even more next year because of that ad. Right. I just like I mean, look, it it's it's theologically ambiguous, right? But that means it's jobs it's the jobs of people like me. And the people like you to give clarity and then figuring out how we can use this to benefit the kingdom the most. Now, I don't agree with all the pictures and stuff, but so what? Right? I didn't make the video. So what I could do is say, well, this is the redemptive fact. Let's talk about this. How can we use this to impact the community around us? How can we introduce how can we start a conversation using that? I'd have a whole service on it. Let's talk about how we can use this commercial and all the things to start conversations it has, about it has Jesus. Definitely started a conversation. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, in our in our theological circles, I mean, people are, uh, you know, doing the equivalent they, of lighting buildings on fire and right. throwing Molotov cocktails at cars. They're fighting over whose feet Jesus would have washed. <laughs> which I'm like, okay, I get it. Jesus only washed the feet of the 12 disciples. Why? Right. Maybe because those were the only 12 in the room? Like, have we thought of, have we thought about this part of, like, he I, washed I, the feet of those who were with him. Does it really matter? Because he was setting an example. Oh. He literally says he was setting an example. <laughs> My other question is, those of you who are fussing about it, how many feet have you literally washed? <laughs> how many feet? I don't like feet at all. <laughs> I don't like feet. I don't touch my wife's feet. I don't like feet. This is something I don't like. She doesn't like feet. But guess what? Every single person who takes who who ends up entering into covenant with us at our church, me and my wife get on our hands and our knees and we wash their feet oh, as part of go. that covenant of them coming into the church. It is a reminder to them that as their pastors, we're here to serve them. They're not here to serve us. We're here to equip them. They're not here to fulfill our vision. We're here to help them pursue theirs. So my question for these cats who are complaining about this, this whole thing and saying Jesus wouldn't wash their feet, Jesus wouldn't wash their feet. Okay, who the hell's feet have you washed? Okay. That's a very good question. I mean. I've washed feet. I don't like them. Uh, but I wash them. Most people don't wash their own feet, let alone right. other people's feet. <laughs> right. That's why we have so many foot issues here in America. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, we're living uh, in a time of great learning, uh, because we're in a time of great change. I mean, Jesus was in a time of great change too. I think it's great to, to kind of acknowledge that. And I mean, you're bringing change into your community. Uh, I'm going to talk about something I didn't mention. So, um, Bishop here is working on something called the brotherhood and he comes from a very, uh, mason oriented community in south carolina and, and for those of you who know what the the order of masons is it's a charitable organization it has religious overtones 
Um, some people find it Christian. Uh, some people don't. Uh, I'm going to leave where I stand on that ambiguous so that maybe I'll do a future episode. But he's trying to to bring men together like that, that's fully focused on the word and not so much other issues uh, that the Masons focus on. Still doing charity, still growing men, um, but growing men fully focused on the word, not tenets, not secret rights. Uh, maybe some rights that are found in the Bible, definitely, because we like we we like sacraments. We like stuff like that. There's people. Lots of people are going to the Catholic Church in the Anglican Church because they're looking for those old types of services, which is fine. They're still believing Jesus. Jesus is at the center of the story too. I don't care what your denomination is as long as Jesus is at its center. And well, no, maybe not Westboro Baptist. That's but that's a whole different story. That is that's to say, Jesus, <laughs> definitely a different Jesus. Uh, but that is to say that you're bringing something new using the old, right? And that this is what was going on in Jesus's time. You had Hillel and Shammai talking about this golden rule, and Jesus kind of like going, "Hey." He taught about this golden rule, but this is the the crux of that golden rule, right? Do one to others as you would have do unto yourself. And so we're like, that's kind of the time period. It's mind blowing because all this technology is coming out and you're doing something like that. And you're trying to bring that change to your community. Talk a little bit more like what's the true vision of that ultimately? Is it something you want to grow Something you uh, do you want to? Is it there more change stuff that that you haven't told me about that you because your mindset's on this too this this change this journey this growth, but you're on a different coast. You have different issues than I have over here in California, and well, so I, like and I'm always interested to hear what's going on over in your neck of the woods. I have I have a different cultural context, but we all have the same issues. And that is, we all we all want to feel valued, and we all want to feel like we belong to something that is that is greater than we are. We want to feel like we're we're a part of something that is making an impact, something that's leaving a legacy. Um, and that's that's everyone, unless their soul has been damaged to such an extent that they feel like they'll never be worth anything. And at that point, they just give up on on it. And oftentimes people can live with that in within that paradigm um, without even recognizing they're within that paradigm. Um, it, it looks kind of like um, I go work my nine to five Monday through Friday um, or I, I work the whole week just to live for the party on the weekend that I um, by Monday morning, I forget what I did Saturday and Sunday so that I can start back over Monday through Friday so I can get ready to do it again. Uh, Saturday and Sunday. That is a that's that is a, um, a survival I'll, mechanism. I'll be blunt. It's a loser's paradigm <laughs> because I mean it doesn't matter which way you look at it. You're losing at life because you're never going to be able to accomplish anything greater than uh, I'm paying my bills. We want something. We desire something more than that. And so when I looked at I looked at the church, and this started years ago, 
um, in which I looked at the church and realized and recognized that if it wasn't for women, the church would be dead. I mean, yeah, we have we have a lot of, you know, predominantly it is still the clergy is still predominantly male. I get that. Um, I get the whole push for female clergy and yet all the nonsense. Uh, but the church is predominantly women has been. The church has been supported by women. Uh, I mean, even Christ himself was supported by women. I mean, he had the he had the men who followed him. But we see that the support, the financial support of the church was predominantly women. So when we look at the church, especially here in America, as well as the church in most of Europe, it has become so feminized over the centuries that most men uh, want nothing to do with it. It, Can you expand on that? Wait, wait, I'm going to stop you there. What do you mean by feminized? Can you give me an example for for our listeners? Because we throw out words like that and people are like, huh? So feminized in the essence of, all right, so we look at, we look at uh, some of the core differences between men and women. Um, All right, let me, let me rephrase that. Men who have not been um, neutered and castrated by their society and by their culture, men like to grab life by the horns, so to speak, in which men like adventure. Men, for the most part, they like to explore. They like to learn new things. They like to see new things. They like to experience new things. And and those new things are, are different for every man. It doesn't mean that they like to go hiking. doesn't mean that they like to go surfing or kayaking. But it does, it does mean that we have a sense of exploration about us. Uh, well, part of that sense of exploration is also confrontation, in which most men do not have an issue with a confrontation. You and I can fight and we can argue about something. And five minutes later, we're back to like where we were. We're good. We got over it. We got it out of our system. You're good. I'm good. Let's move forward. Women aren't like that. They really aren't. And so what has happened over the past several hundred years because the church has been led predominantly by women. Women, I mean, there's an old joke around here in which we we make the statement that um, the deacons are the heads of the church, right? Deacons are the heads of the church, but uh, their wives are the neck that turn them. And so it takes, it always takes two deacons meetings to make any decision in the churches around here. You have the first deacons meeting in which they discuss what needs to be done. And then they all go home and ask their wives how they're supposed to vote on it at the next deacons meeting. And that's how it's that's how it's run. That's how it's done. Well, what has taken place is the church has become a for 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 the most part, the church has become that place where everybody has to um, you walk on eggshells. You have to be nice. You have to be nice. Um, you, you can't really say exactly what's on your mind because you might hurt somebody's feelings. Um, you have to, um, you have to make sure that you are the, the greater, um, how can I put this? Uh, you have to be the, the, the greater servant in, in, in all of this. You have to make sure that I gotta be Mary. uh, Yeah. So, so in this, in this push for all of this, and, and let me just, let me clarify. Niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. Never has been. Um, Jesus was Wait a kind. minute. So wait, God is... is wait, uh, God's not nice? No, hell no. He's kind, but he's not nice. 
you know, Nice is worried about the external immediate gratification and comfort and convenience of an individual. Kindness is willing to confront an issue in order for you to be able to benefit from it later. Niceness is all about the immediate comfort and convenience. And that's what we have in so many churches. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not let's not um, let's not get them upset because, you know, they're well, gonna everybody's going to go down from our our church on the 7th Street over to the 4th Street Church. Right. Bishop, if we rock the boat, we right. and we need we need to make sure we can keep the lights on. Right. So we're, we're nice. We're nice. Men don't We're seeker well. sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> don't get started on that nonsense. So we're. So for the most part, we're taught to be nice, like be nice, even all the way, even in even in grade school, the earliest times of grade school, be nice. Don't say that. Don't 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 be like that. Um, instead, here at Veritas, we've embraced this whole concept of. Um, we're not nice. We're kind. We, we desire your we desire your prosperity, the prosperity of your soul. We desire that. But that may mean that I'm not nice because I may have to confront something. I may have to point out to you that, hey, you sleeping with multiple different men or multiple different women, you do realize that's what's causing all the anxiety and issues within your life, right? You do realize that's what's causing the anxiety. You do realize that's what's causing all of the other nonsense that you've got going on. You're doing it to yourself. If I'm nice, I'm only worried about your convenience. And your comfort, and I want to keep you happy. So I'm going to be nice about it. If I'm kind, I understand that by speaking truth to you with love, I may be able to bring you into a lifestyle of freedom in which you don't have to worry about being destroyed by your own choices. So when we when we look at the church today, we see a, a church that is all about being nice. Well, being nice doesn't bring freedom. Being nice doesn't doesn't confront the demons that so many people live with and that so many people struggle with and that so many people are fighting with. Being nice doesn't help doesn't help you break free from addiction. Being nice doesn't doesn't help you put that bottle down. Being nice doesn't help you restore a marriage that is failing and nothing seems to be fixing it. Being nice is only worried about the immediate gratification and comfort of the flesh. I I don't want to be nice. Screw being nice, man. I want to actually see people set free. I want to see people get I want to see people get healed. I want to see people actually prosper in their life. So in in as we're looking at this, and as I've been looking at this, our whole thought process was I've got to create a church that actually speaks to men. I've got to create a church that we can confront this whole this whole paradigm of I need to make a place in which men are safe to be men. Men, we had this thing. We like to say what's on our mind. Don't believe me? Get one of them drunk. Let's <laughs> say what's on our mind. Get a drink. Let's so, say what's on our mind. Get all this reminds me of two things. One, uh, I'll start with C.S. Lewis, who in Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, you have Lucy and Beaver, and they're talking about Aslan, and Lucy goes, is he safe? And the beavers look at each other and then look at Lucy and go, no, he's a lion, but he's good. Right. And then the second thing, what the, the, uh, 
after what you just said, you make me think of the letter that Jordan B. Peterson recently said to the church of calling men out, giving them a place and a discipline and a hope to be more mm-hmm. that can be found in the word and that only churches can provide that you cannot find it anywhere in the world anymore. Right. But we haven't been doing that. And what you're saying is from what I hear, and I'll say that again, because I'm trying to be careful with my words. now. What I hear you saying is that that is what Veritas is trying to create a place where these young men and these older men can be men again, and that there's a place for both men and women in your church, but you're going to also not, it's not going to be just nice. It's going right. to be, it's going to be lions and lambs, right? It's going to be, um, wolves and sheep. Well, no, that wasn't sheep. That's always a bad analogy. Well, anyways, big protecting burly animal and nice, gentle, not so burly animal. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So we've, everything that we've done has been to attract, to attract men, to make a place in which men feel comfortable, men feel safe. Men feel like they can come in. They don't have to. They don't have to wear the, the nice, the nice clothes. They don't have to wear the, the. They don't have to dress up, be somebody that they're not during the rest of the week. Um, even down to, I mean, we've addressed everything. Even down to the color of paint that's on our walls. Um, we've got women who have asked us. They're like, "Can we do this? Can we do this?" And my wife always tells them, "You have to ask Bishop." And my response is, "No, you're not. You're not in painting. the bath in your guys' bathroom." Leave you're it not, there. You're not painting. I won't even let them paint that. Like, I'm, no, it's not happening. I'm not giving you anything because the moment I give you one thing, you're going to want all of it. So I'm not giving you none of it. So like our walls are, they're all gray, uh, black trim, our floor. And we don't, we don't have a sanctuary. We, uh, we have what we, we refer to our sanctuary as our family room because everything gets done there. So in our family room, we have concrete floor. We have carpet. We have concrete floor. We have, um, our walls are gray, black trim. That's through the whole building, the whole building. Why? Because men are comfortable with gray walls and they're comfortable with black trim. They're comfortable with the concrete floor. They don't feel like they're, it they're not like having to live up the garage. Yes. <laughs> so they're, they're good, you know? But one of the things that we've learned is you create a place that men want to be. You get a place full of good men Women feel safe there. And so they're going to come. Doesn't matter what color the paint is. Doesn't matter that you don't have carpet. If women feel safe, they're coming. And our women feel safe. We had, um, give you, give you a perfect example of, of that. We had a, we had a woman who she was, we have a lot of domestic violence, um, victims and, and survivors who find their way here. And, they find their way here because once they step in here and they become part of the family, they don't have to worry about that because we had a, we had a young woman who was here. Um, she came in one Sunday and she was very anxious, very upset, very frustrated, very, and come to find out her ex who had been very physically abusive had been messing, messaging her and, and, and had told her, I'm, I'm coming to your church. And I'm coming, I'm coming to get you. You're coming back with me. And when all it took, she told, um, she told one of our pastors. Um, and all it took was, 
And I'm, I'm, I'm changing this just a little bit because they're going to be listening to this and I don't want, I don't want their, their that's fine. No, it's okay. Things um, have been changed for the safety of the, those involved. Absolutely. Um, but they ended up telling, it got to the pastors and it got to the men. And this guy was out in the parking lot in his truck. And so next thing we know, there is there's a line of men from the church standing on the sidewalk of the church with their arms crossed, staring at him in his truck. Daring him to get out of his truck. And he cranked his truck up, left our parking lot, has never been back. Um, because I guarantee you. If he'd have got out of that truck, not a single one of my men would have been worried about going to jail. <laughs> we would have gone to jail. That's not a problem. We will lay hands on you, closed hands, in the name of Jesus, and we'll go do our jail time, and we'll pray for you while we're there. Because you're not going to hurt our women, and you're not going to hurt our children. We will put ourselves in between you, and we will go. We don't. We'll fight. We don't care. I mean, well, the Lord put his son between us and, and the maws of hell. That's right. I mean, you know, but I mean, that is to say, but we're, you know, a lot of people would call us old fashioned for that. But I think that old fashioned is necessary. It's coming around to being new fashion, I guess. It, well, it has to be. So we take a look at, you know, back to that original question on what we were doing. When I when I look at the church and of itself. One of the fastest growing churches, one of the fastest growing churches in the world right now is the Orthodox Church. One of the fastest growing churches. And when I look at them, um, I see I see men with with long beards. I see men with long hair. It's the weird. Now, granted, before I ever looked at the Orthodox Church, I already had long hair and I already had a, I already had a long beard. And it would be longer if my wife would let me, but she has told me no. Like You also have a, a big cross like they do too. I do, I do, don't I? Yeah. And I had this before I ever before I ever looked into it. But when I started studying the Orthodox Church, I noticed some things about them. And I noticed that they had structure. I noticed things that the things that the Protestant church in the United States and in Europe have done everything they could to get away from. And if we're honest with ourselves, the Protestant church in America and the Protestant church in Europe is failing. It's, 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 and people would say, I'm, I'm using too harsh of a term. Screw you. I, we're failing. <laughs> we're failing at this because if we weren't, our culture would be changing for the better. And it's not, but we're not in the, but it couldn't, then it felt good. Uh, look, we talked about this earlier, right? That it won't pay the bills. Churches are clubs. The Protestant churches here in America right. are clubs. It won't pay the but bills. Don't get, look, folks, don't get me wrong. I love the church. I love, I love, I love the church. And the church Absolutely. is, and the church has done, done me dirty multiple times, as you've heard in my podcast. But I love the church. I have, I have never been hurt by anybody as much as I've been hurt by the church. I, it, you know, and and you find some of the starkest believers who are trying to bring reform to the church. Mm-hmm. And, and look, we're, and, and I'm glad you brought up America because it's the American church. There's plenty of healthy churches outside of America. Correct. There's some health. There's plenty of healthy churches in America, but that's to say the ones that aren't are are failing and they're dying out. Yes. Right. While the or, or Eastern Orthodox and Orthodox Church is not. 
it is growing exponentially. Right. So what and do they I mean? What I just they wish have? they had Latin. I wish they they said their services in Latin, and I wish that their version of the Bible with the correct amount of books was actually oh, oh man, I'm in trouble. So much trouble oh for saying God. this was oh actually God. the one that's in mass print. The correct, um, but, the correct number of books. <laughs> Correct number of books. That's a that's a that's a nut for another conversation. Uh, yeah. And definitely, next thing, probably next for, thing you're gonna be next thing you're gonna be hollering sola scriptura. Uh, well, mm, no, because you remember my roots are Jewish and I believe in uh, Mishnah as part of the of the of the Word of God. But let's go, let's that's go a whole prima. other conversation. Let's go prima scriptura. <laughs> prima scriptura. So so when we when we look at the when we look at the Orthodox Church, you know what they have? They have structure. They have ceremony. They have um, they have they they have tradition. They have all of these things that the Protestant Church has fought against, and yet they are one of the fastest growing churches in the world. And they're growing because of the men. They're growing in numbers, leaps and bounds, because of men who are joining them. So, and I have nothing against my Orthodox brothers and sisters. I don't. I love them dearly. Am I Orthodox? I'm about the closest thing you can get without being orthodox. Um, there are there are most of the Protestant churches in our area want nothing to do with me. They they want nothing to do with me. They stand up in their pulpits and they tell their people to stay away from me. Um, and I'm I'm okay with that. My goal is to love people, love Jesus, and you can say whatever you want about me. I I don't really care. I'm going to sleep tonight just fine because it's me and Jesus and loving people. But when I when I noticed all of this about it, I said, you know what? Now let's look at some of these other groups. When we look at uh, when we look at the Masons, what do they have? What do they have? Oh, wait a minute. They have structure. They have ceremony. They have um, all of the same things that the Orthodox Church have, right? Then I look and I say, okay, well, what else is growing um, by men? Oh, okay. In this country, one of the fastest growing religions in this country is Islam. But they have so, the same thing. So I look at what do they have? What do they have? Oh, wait a minute. They have structure. They have cer- ceremony. They have um, they all the same things, right? They have authority. They have tradition. All the same things. Okay. Well, what else? What else is growing in our in our country right now? Um, oh, there's a big push now for biker clubs. For for biker clubs all over the place. They're growing. Uh, what do they have? Oh, let's think about it. They have structure. They have ceremony. They have tradition. They, all the same things. So men are being attracted to all of these things that the Protestant church has done everything within its power to shut down. Everything within its power to shut down. Why? Because, let's just be honest with you, um, uh, women don't feel welcome around a lot of those things because we've abused them over the years and with with right they don't feel welcome around those things um that 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 not feeling comfortable around that is justified without a doubt it is justified which means that somebody has to grow up and grow a pair and redeem some of this stuff and actually put it in a correct position and and put it in correct light so i mean by that boils down also to the, what this still is a huge argument amongst theological circles. Where does women fit in ministry? Well, if I, the Lord has redeemed us back to the way we were, if he's the new Adam, 
then we have the new, in the churches, the new Eve, then in the garden, Adam and Eve were equals. Correct. Sorry, sorry folks that, and I'll, I'll take a hard stance on that. Um, my wife is my equal. If you hear her speak theology, sometimes we'll disagree, but she's my equal. And sometimes you'll hear us argue. And Bishop, one day when we visit your church, I'll bring up my wife, despite her not wanting to be up there, and we'll argue theology in front of you, because that is very healthy. Um, so, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of between between places on it, because I've, I've I confuse a lot of people by my by my position on it. I really do. You live in a state of confusion, Bishop. I I confuse a lot of people on it, um, in which. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in uh, female pastors. I'm a firm believer in um, female preachers. I'm a firm believer in female um, apostles and female prophets and female teachers and female evangelists. And um, I'm a firm believer in it. We have female pastors here at Veritas that yes, I've ordained, that mm-hmm. I have ordained. Um, we have female prophets that I have ordained. Um, whole nine yards. So I'm a firm believer in it. While at the same time, there's a part of me that is also the the head of the local church is a bishop. And that bishop is a male. That doesn't mean now at the same time. And this is where people get a little bit confused. I have no problem with a woman starting a church. None. But where does she where does where does she sit in reference to her husband? Does, is she submitted to her husband? Because I do believe in, in a wife being submitted to a husband. In the essence of my wife and I are equal. We have discussions. I listen to what she has to say. I'm submitted to her. She submitted to me. We have a disagreement on something. The direction of our family. My decision is final. It's the way that it works. Because there's, there is an order to it. Without there being, without there being a head... Everything, everything has a tendency to just to just go off into its own into its own thing. So when we look at when we look at Scripture itself, in which Paul tells Timothy that a bishop should be the husband of one wife. Okay, we look at when we look at um, church structure in and of itself. The the Protestant Church, uh, especially here in the U.S., uh, especially these new apostolic fivefold. Let me stop. <laughs> Um, I can tell yeah. you're disgusted as you listen. The apostles, those the apostles lead the church, kind of a nonsense. Um, there's there's this push in which they're saying that the fivefold, which is a fairly uh, the the term fivefold is fairly new, but when we look at this whole this whole ideology of the fivefold, it's taught um, that the apostles lead. And, and and it and it kind of goes down. Instead of understanding the five, what we call the fivefold, the the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, those are equipping gifts from Christ to the church to equip the saints. But when we study the scriptures, and feel free to correct me, uh, when we study the scriptures, we see apostles, we see prophets, we see pastors, we see teachers, we see evangelists. But those same guys weren't the ones that were leading the church. We see bishops, we see deacons, 
those were the ones who were who we, we see the, the the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists. They were handling the ministry of the church, the ministry of the church, the uh, the bishops and the deacons were handling the administration and the logistics of the church. I think it, you know what I was at my church this this Sunday and um, my pastor was talking about Moses and his father-in-law with Jethro mm-hmm. and he he comes in to see the Israeli people who are now free and he sees that Moses has a line out the door of issues and that first thing Jethro says is that this is not good. Right now, Moses is handling situations. He's giving great judgments. He's handling people, but he's there from the more from when the sun rises to the sunset, handling all these issues. And he says, we need to appoint people to handle that issue. Nowadays, bishops and deacons. But here's the major problem that I find is that we mesh things together, right? So somebody with a pastor has to be pastor, teacher, counselor, evangelist, preacher, sometimes apostle, sometimes prophet. Man, they're everything. Yeah. You know, it's like saying, you know what? Pizza they ate last night. You're a mouth and you're going to be the entire body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to be the hands, the feet, the eyes, the, the brain. But but you're created to be a mouth. Yep. Right. So that's why we get pastors, and I'm gonna I'm air quoting here, people, because we're me and Bishop are recording this in video. You'll never see it. I'm sorry. Maybe in the next season you'll see the future. The future. Right. You see these guys who are called pastor, and you see that they fail to help somebody whose marriage is struggling. You see they fail to teach well. That they're not teaching well. They're not equipping people with fresh bread. It's like coaching, right? Or uh, you have a rah-rah meeting. There, it's, Everyone is like every service we're inviting people to Jesus. Whether the Holy Spirit wants was reaching out to invite people to Jesus and we're counting those numbers. Or... Uh, you know, or after that, and then after that, we're, we're going to try for healing for everybody, whether they hit you just because we want to flex that. Like, there's times and places for things and understanding the ebbs and flow of the spirit and what the spirit mm-hmm. wants to do is key to the future of the body. Mm-hmm. That means somebody can be a pastor is not going to lead the church in the sense of from the pulpit. I'm pastor of the church, but by that means I'm going to the, the hospital when you're sick Right. If your if your marriage is broken, I'm going to be dealing with that. If your son is has is abusing drugs and you need support, I'm going to be able to direct you to that. Mm-hmm. While this guy who is not a pastor, the teacher, he's going to be on the pulpit because that's like he's good at making sure you know the word right. that the word is yours. That 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 it, he, there's an unraveling. I mean, that's the whole reason I do do this is to unravel the nonsense that is coming from the pulpit, from YouTube, got, from TikTok. There's so much nonsense that I have to I have to sit here and unravel it. 
We've got a lot right. of nonsense. So, and I think it starts with that. And then, and then beyond that, we make a major, we major culture it, right? We major, major fi. We, uh, wait, we, I dull it, a, a mm, superstar them, make them into idols, I guess. It becomes, it becomes idolatry. Right. And, and you know who the mega, mega pastors are with their books. And I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus because some of these guys are, I know, and they're really solid human beings. And so I'll throw them under the bus. I'll throw them under the bus. I don't care. So you take, you take somebody like, you take somebody like Stephen Furtick, who I don't, I love Stephen Furtick. I, I don't necessarily always agree with his theology, but I love the man. And he's got, he's got a great heart from what I have seen. He's got an incredible heart. And some of my people um, love him, and they'll they'll watch his stuff, they'll listen to his sermons, and they love to talk about his sermons. They love to talk about his messages, love to talk about his books, and it's it's so much fun because they'll put him on a they'll put him on a pedestal, and they they kind of elevate him. They're talking about oh he's such such a great great preacher, and then I have I have one of them, you know, come to me talking to me about why you know what. His his messages are so great, they're so great. Um, why are why why can't you know why can't some of the messages around here be like that? <laughs> you know what? First off, screw you. Second, <laughs> second, um, if I had an entire team helping me for months create and build one message that I'm going to preach for thirty minutes. And I'm able to put a hundred plus hours into that one message. It better be the best thing you've ever heard, which is what he has. He has a team. They work on it together. He practices it multiple times. He doesn't. God bless him. He doesn't have the same burden of a smaller church pastor because all he has to do is lead his church. And preach in which he leads the administration of his church, which is a big thing. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Uh, That's a big thing. He does more than that, right? He has a, they have a music label. Yes. Like he has a lot. Like, so then you have smaller church pastors who are being compared to this, who, okay, they are. Preachers and sneakers. (laughs) Yeah. They're your pastor. They're your counselor. They're the ones that are coming to to your house at two o'clock in the morning. They're the ones that are that are doing all of these things, and we've we've elevated we've elevated a gift to the point that we think that it's the gift that that leads the church, and it's the gift that we we pull all of this stuff into that that gift that sometimes we forget who that gift is supposed to be pointing to. And so all of our attention and focus is on that one person thinking they can answer all of all of all of the needs and thinking they can handle all of the issues. And so we end up in a church in which pastors are getting burnt out and pastors are leaving ministry by the by the hundreds on a on a monthly basis. And we've got an we've got an anemic body of believers because we have for the last century plus not actually raised up ministers. We've just simply raised up church members. 
Well, I I mean, I did a whole episode on the lack of teaching. Uh, no, re- let me re- rephrase that. The lack of education right. pastors have. I mean, all you need is a, a Bible and a and a unction nowadays rather than than education. It's why we get a lot, why we see a lot of heresies arising back up. Old heresies and new ways uh, is what right. I call it. Hashtag old heresies and new ways. Uh, John Crowder talks about that too. Um, ladies and gentlemen, like just saying that, you know, we got to refocus. I mean, I mean, and as you notice, our journey on these conversations, a journey rather than just a focus. And that's usually how me and, and the bishop talk due to the fact that we, this is, this is how it is, right? We're, we're passionate, not about just the body, but about, about how people are learning about the person we love most, most in the universe, right? right? And, you know, and I think it gets, sometimes gets lost in translation coming from the pulpit when I need, I need you guys to help fund my new multi-million dollar building where everybody can sit and we can have even twice as many of you here. And right. we're going to open up a recording studio to the back right of the sanctuary where you can watch the band as they produce their new album. And don't forget to get, grab your latte on your way in and the ah. gift. Yes, we have this amazing gift just for you, your first-time believers. It is a Bible inscribed with your name, and and it's going to be in gold print in a letter. And as you're on your way out, we want you to feel like you're part of the family. So just like if you were at a family reunion, we are giving you a shirt with our name on it. And don't forget, in that with that is also a sticker to put on your car. Please, Brandon, represent us on your way out. Uh it, Part of look, I really got caught up to that in that when I was young. I, I'll be honest. I I had a sticker for my church. I had the the tagline memorized. I was just thinking about that the other day. But man, they're powerless. It was a great group. It really healed the 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 public school like segregation where and bullying that I had. But it didn't, it, it had no power. It didn't heal lives. It didn't save nobody. It did, it, look, it brought me closer to human beings. And in that way, I came closer to Jesus because we're all his, we all reflect him. But until we find a place where there is power and authority and miracles and science, order <laughs> right order and sacrament we're 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 gonna end up walking away or being disenfranchised you know and i and when i first met bishop here i literally told him i'm an unchurched at the time and at the time i was i'm an unchurched believer i'm like the only reason i can survive is that i'm an unchurched believer with a thorough education who's in the word every day and, and it prays broke every my day. heart Broke my heart, man. And I'm in communication with people like you across the internet. That's my church. And he's like, what? (laughs) Broke my heart. But, but 
it's changed. Uh, look, and I keep telling people, I said it's changing. There's there's reform coming. It's in the wind. It's on the waves. It's coming in small. It's coming in large. It's it's it trickles and rains and but it's coming. And, and, you know, and right now where people are deconstructing themselves out into hurtness, but as the reform comes and people like me and Bishop start coming out and start speaking and, and creating places, people are coming back. They're giving it another chance. They're going past the trauma and knowing that there's people who are looking to bring the real kingdom, not a social group, not a culture fest, not a, you know, not turning the world upside down by having good barbecues. And sorry for those of you who have went to that church with me who knows what I'm talking about. But seriously, I'll, I'll have a good barbecue. Uh, well, but if it's a good barbecue and there's no there's no Holy Spirit moving in the church and it's just a good message that tells you how to be a good person, it's not. It, I'm just going to a group of uh, for coaching sessions, dude. Mm. See, I was when you when you did your spill just a little while ago about the grab your latte and all that. I was waiting on I was waiting on you to say, you know, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I was waiting on I was waiting on like the whole thing. Playing on the whole thing, not just not just a little part. Look, uh, I've been to a look, folks, and and if you listen to my church, I've been to a lot, a lot, a lot of churches, not only Christian churches. Don't get me wrong, I've been to synagogues, I've been to Buddhist temples, I've been, I've seen it all. Uh, you know, um, in my search to better know God, better to know what people are talking about Him. When I was young, walking away from the church. My whole journey, right? And I know, I know for a fact after that journey that there is a place, there are believers in America like Bishop's Church. And it's not like finding the place where you belong. The, any church, anywhere there's Jesus, you belong. Am I wrong there, Bishop? Anywhere there's Jesus, you belong. Oh, I'm at home anywhere Jesus is. So... It just matters how deep, right? Some places you're going to be a puddle. Some places are going to be ankle deep. Some pieces are going to be to your knees and you're going to be waiting in it. Some people, some places are going to be to your hips and you're going to have trouble walking because there's so much. And, and the place where you really want to get is where you are drowning in Jesus. That's right. You, you know, and whether it's Bethel, whether it's Veritas, I, you know, whether it's it's Lakewood. Yeah, you know more church names than I do nowadays. Whether it's Oceans, where I go, um, folks, the depth is not just what they have there, but what you seek. So you could be in a place that that most of the, the people are going to try to get submerged, but you could be ankle deep or feet. And look. I'm man. A lot of pastors are gonna get angry. Please don't get angry with me, Bishop. Serving at the church does not make you go deeper with the Lord. It can, but that's not what is required. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Getting plugged, quote unquote, often, plugged in, is not what gets you deeper with the Lord. Now it'll, no, it'll often, keep you safe. Often people will serve at the church in order to in order to avoid going deeper with the Lord. Because if I'm good because I I serve, right? 
<laughs> yeah, if I can prove that I'm actually doing something, it doesn't mean that I can focus on I can focus on that outreach instead of focus on my on my healing. I yeah. can I can focus on the nursery instead of focusing on um, the the trauma wounds that I experienced because I was molested as a child. I'll make I you can, a real good cup of coffee, Bishop. Right. I'll come over. And I'll work at your coffee shop, dude. You don't even right. have to put me on stage. I'll visit. I'll make everybody a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's why. That's why. Like, so Veritas, we actually frustrate people who are, um, people who are, who hide behind service, or who hide behind ministry. We frustrate. We frustrate them, because we have we have several who have who have come to the church, and one of the first things they'll do. They'll be there for a week, two weeks at the most, and they're like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I want to get involved. I want to get involved. I want to get involved. I did this and this and this and this and this at my last church. Uh, and my first question is never, uh, when can you start? My first question is, why did you leave your last church? Well, what does it matter why I left? Well, which church were you in? Well, and they tell me, and I don't care what church it was. Oh, man, that's a fantastic pastor. I, I know who they were. I know who they are. And I, I do. I know most every pastor in this area. I know who they were. Mm-hmm. They're a good man. They're a great man. Why'd you leave? Well, what difference does it make why I left? Because I because here's the thing. You're either you're either the problem running from something you created, or you're a victim running from a problem. Which means either way, there's healing that needs to take place. You're not coming into my church and jumping right into ministry because I'm not having you jump in and bleed all over everything that you touch. So what we're going to have to do is we frustrate them because I want to know where you're coming from. I want to know why you're coming. And then there's a good possibility if I find out that you served for eight years at your last place and you never had a Sunday off, you're probably looking at a good year, year and a half before I let you do anything. Oh, because man. you need time to you need time to heal. You need time to settle down. You need time to rest. You need time to realize that you have value beyond what you can accomplish. So I'm not putting you straight to work. I'm more concerned. I'm more concerned about your soul than what I can get out of you on a Sunday. So you're not. We're not putting you to work. So uh, that's some of the stuff that's been missing from church. Yes, I. It's, completely... sort of, it's, Look, it's ridiculous. I... Maybe I brought you on here so you could preach to the choir because the choir over here is singing. Yes. <laughs> I'm just look, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just too, if you've made it this far with us, I mean, I don't even know how long this recording is going. I, and it's, this will probably be one of my longest episodes due to the fact that I, I want you to understand that not all pastors are alike. Not at all. Not all churches have the same goals, and not all Christians are. I mean, if you're listening, you already know I'm not the norm. I mean, I talk about Jedis and how we're better than them. I talk about what type of salt you are. I bring on a guy like Bishop here uh, (laughs) who's not afraid to throw Steve Furtick under the bus and then, you know, then back it up and then roll it forward again. If you're listening, we both, Bishop and I, want you to to understand that there's a God that's 
ginormous and mysterious and amazing and loves you. And you are just as amazing because he created you to be an image of that. You know, and uh, some of these later episodes, as you realize, you you hear me preaching a little bit because my heart is for you to catch that. The reason I study all this, the reason I can talk about this is because the creator in which I serve is so phenomenally and beyond me. The more I get to know him, the more, the less I know. Am I wrong, Bishop? The more you know him, the less you really kind of know the longer, like, the longer I study him, the more I study him, the more I realize I don't have a clue. And, and that's not to dissuade some of you who are logical. That is to say that it's a continued mystery with revel, continued revelation, a ultimate puzzle that will not be solved until you're in the presence of the puzzle itself. If I can understand and comprehend God, that's not God. Neither that is it Jesus. No, instead right. that is a that's a figment of my own creation, because I can understand what I can create, but I can't understand that which created me. That's that's an impossibility, because it's beyond it's beyond me to understand it. And All right. so that's it's, that's how we it, end up with nonsense theology. <laughs> that's that's how we end up with Jesus five points, too, right? That's how we end up with five points to a box. <laughs> let me let me put God inside this five points. I'm gonna call it tulip. Oh God. I'm gonna uh, look. I'm gonna give you reformed reformed Calvinist and Calvinist break. Uh, I just know I'm neither of those. Um, I won't give them a break. I think your theology is demonic. <laughs> I mean, it did bring back slavery in the U.S., but uh-huh. that's. That's we can have another conversation about that. All right, let's <laughs> maybe on uh, uh, on conversation with Bishop, and we can have interactive church members, and we can throw that out to oh, Parliament yeah. members. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to head towards the end, so I can give Bishop some night's rest because it is three hours later over there. I'm not going to tell you exactly what time. I, you just know it's night here in California, so it's later night over there. He's in the future. Uh, two questions for you, and I stole the kind of concept from from you, Bishop, when I when I was on your show, and you you wanted to know what I would read, and your daughter asked me some questions, and uh, sent me on this path to write my own book. Um, so, here's the first question: What's one thing about faith you would like, or think you could clear up? It doesn't have to be a major, gigantic thing. If if you had five, oh, let's do this. If you had five minutes with a person in a paramedic, knowing that the person was going to go into the hospital and not see them again, and you had five minutes to clear up some theological question, say so they just ask you some theological question. So I've ha- I've had this experience. Okay, so, so see, okay, good. What would you clear up for our listeners? God's not angry with you. God's not angry with you. He loves you. We we live we live under under this this oppressive weight that we there's a God who is waiting to punish me for something that I've done when in reality we have a God who has done everything within His power to redeem us and the rest of it is left up to us. So in God's infinite wisdom, in 
in his love for us, he gave us free will, which for for any of your reformed or Calvinistic, you know, people who follow you, um, uh, again, your theology is demonic, but God has given us free will, the ability to choose to love him. And in that free will, it was also um, it was also our greatest adversary because what has happened is he has given everybody free will. He gave you free will. He gave me free will. He gave everybody who has ever hurt you free will. And then God stepped back and he said, let me help you live. Let me help you love. Let me help you experience life. Let me help you. And if we really truly want to experience life the way it was created, we were created to experience it. We must do it in covenant with a God who loves us, not a God who wants to punish us. And most of the pain and most of the uh, most of the evil that you have experienced in this world is not the heart of our Father at all, but instead it is the result of His love. And I say that because he loved us so much, he gave us the ability to choose evil. And some people choose evil. And God loves them enough not to turn them into robots. He loves them enough not to take away their free will. And he loves you enough to give you the strength to overcome the evil they inflict. So that would be what I would say. That's beautiful. Um, I'm almost speechless. Almost. Luckily, I have a question written out. So yeah, you're not. You're not speechless. I, so, that would that would be a miracle, man. That would make me a saint. Like, hey, that would be worth three miracles in one, right here. <laughs> I would no guys, longer be bishop. He he gives me shit. Okay, this is what <laughs> I I keep him around. I would um, no longer be all right. bishop. You could call me Saint Walter. <laughs> No, that's my, my wife's a saint for marrying me. You know, I mean, I don't know about sainting my friends. They give me too much crap to 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 garner that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last but not least, how would you like to challenge the parliament? <laughs> Jesus. Cuz at the end of every episode I leave with a challenge, something that's applicable that they could do for the week, whether uh, whether it's checking on, you know, uh, so for instance, the recovery episode that just dropped was um, death of a dream. So checking on their dream, the challenge was check on your dream. Is it alive or is it dead? Check for a pulse. Um, and what type of death is it? Is it a seed or is it truly dead? Uh, so you have an opportunity now. I mean, you gave such a eloquent, beautiful response to my last question. Now you get to to challenge the listener, uh, believe it or not, to something. My my challenges are always going to be scriptural in nature. They're always they're always going to be faith based. That's Wisdom. that's who that's who I am. So my challenge would be even if you even if you've never read the scripture, it's 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 all right because the the scriptures teach us. And again, I I accept it by faith. I, I do, and I understand that there is an aspect of faith to it that some people may not have. Um, but if you, all of us have faith to some extent, mm-hmm. it's it's a given. Um, but one of the things that I have learned is that when I am willing to truly 
ask questions and to truly seek truth, that God is always there to reveal himself. And so my challenge would be with an open mind and an open heart, read Colossians chapter one daily for a month. Oh. And at the beginning of the month, when you first read it, write down what your thoughts are on it. And then after having done it for a month, Colossians chapter one, which to me is pivotal to understanding the love of our father. At the end of that month, write down again what your thoughts are on it and then compare them. And that's, you may be amazed. You may be amazed at what happens during that month and what God, even if you don't believe any, um, may be able to reveal. You know, we, we have so many people who say if, if God's real, he'll, you know, he'll reveal himself. Well, he can't reveal himself if you're not looking. So. I, you know, if you're watching, <laughs> you're never going to see this video, but I'm just like agreeing with him in hand gestures. I mean, Russell Brand recently, Jordan B. Peterson searched for the truth and they found it. And man, they are rocking. They keep rocking towards God and Jesus. And it's just, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see, see evidence of change that he's just talking about, those two men, whether you agree with them or not, we're definitely to, to to just go back and look from Jordan B. Peterson being God doesn't exist to there might be to starting to focus on the Bible to now he's preaching. Oh, he's as, proclaiming the gospel as a as a psychologist. So it's a way different take, but he's still preaching. Russell Brand, man, he's on his journey too. Just so there's his. Challenge Colossians chapter one a month, right? What you think about firsthand, then at the end of the month, write again and compare. And he's you're definitely going to see him again, either and me again, whether I be whether it be here or whether it be me on his show. And in the future, uh, the voice of the parliament is going to find its own nesting place. Huh, you like that? I keep using bird terminology. Like its own nesting place because it's going to be a, a wing of the parliament. There's another one. Um, so till next time, pour yourself another glass of tea. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. It was definitely very interesting for me and Bishop here. And we'll see you next time. Like, subscribe, leave a good comment. Thanks for visiting the parliament. If you want to know about Gravitas Coaching, please visit gravitas.co. It's also where we host the parliament. Last but not least, the intro and outro music credits. Intro music by Russ Budgen and outro music by Sardam Aravistov.